Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I am excited because my friend Jeff Verdorn is in studio. And I'm excited because A, he's here, and B, it's his birthday tomorrow. But I'm not going to bring that up because I don't want to embarrass him, you know, so I'm going to just be silent about that. But we're going to talk about one verse in Scripture today. It's Galatians 2.20. You're going to love it. So really, if you think about it, if we've been made holy because God has made us holy through a personal relationship with him, why is it so hard to live holy must have something to do with our free will or something. We're going to find out all about that. Jeff Verdorn is a, a teacher and a longtime friend, and, and as you know, regular here on the show. We're glad to have him back. Jeff, welcome. Hi, Bill. So we're going to talk about one verse today, but we're not going to get to it quite yet. Um, so maybe we can have a little background as to how we get into this today. Yeah, so this is one of my... Uh, charts. I do a class called Seven Scriptures You Need to Know by Heart. It's seven themes using seven passages from the Bible. And the one we're going to talk about today is from Galatians 2.20. But you're right. In order to kind of understand the context of where we're going with this, um, I think it it will be helpful to understand how God sees salvation. And salvation in Scripture is actually seen in three different ways. It's seen in a past tense, in a present tense, and a future tense. So the Bible actually literally talks about all three of these forms or parts of this thing we call salvation. So you have been saved, Ephesians 2, 5. You are being saved, 2 Corinthians 2, and you shall be saved. Well, what are, what are these three parts? So the past part is the salva- what theologians call salvation. So like Romans 8, 24 says this, For in this hope we were saved. Past tense. Done deal. Ephesians 2 says it this way, But we were made alive with Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. It is by grace that you have been saved. So there's the once and done, you're saved at one time, that's the moment that you're born again, and God saves us. Now, interestingly, this Greek word here for saved is sozos, and it's in this particular verse, like in Ephesians 2, it's in the perfect passive uh, tense. And what does that mean? Well, the perfect tense in Greek is described something as having been completed in the past and is done. And that's exactly how God describes our salvation, right? Once you're saved, it's done, and it's done forever. By the way, it's in the passive voice, which means God does it to us. He's the one that saves us, right? Can anybody give themselves eternal life? No. Can anybody forgive themselves? No. No. Negatory. Yeah, you can't. No one can make themselves a child of God. No one can redeem themselves. This is all God's work of salvation. That's why it's in the passive voice. So the conclusion here is we have been saved, past tense. Now, the present tense of salvation, theologians generally call sanctification. So like 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. 
Notice here salvation is talked about in the present tense. We are being saved. Same with 2 Corinthians 2, 15. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved. The Greek word here, again, is for saved is sozos, but interestingly, the tense is a little different. It's in the present tense, not the perfect tense in the Greek, and the present tense generally is the English present tense of viewed as something that is occurring in actual time, basically. So, if we already have been saved, what does being saved mean? Well, that's a very good question. This is what is called generally, like I said, sanctification. Most would see this as an ongoing, growing in faith, an ongoing transformation of one's life to live the Christian life more and more, to be more and more Christ-like during your life. However, there's an interesting um, component to this biblically, to this sanctification in Scripture. And that is being sanctified is also talked about in Scripture as being in the past tense. Hmm. So 1 Corinthians 6.11 says this, And this is what some of you were, this list of sins, by the Mm -hmm. way. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit. Do you see that? Sanctification is in the past tense. I've never thought of it that way. I always think of it in the present tense. It's our ongoing daily life. Exactly. And so what I'm going to try to make the distinction here today is that what I like to call sanctification, which is done also, and and what I refer to what you just described, I refer to that as progressive sanctification, this ongoing process of trying to live out this godly life in our lives, because we know that's all a real thing, right? That's our struggle. So I'm going to, I'm going to make the distinction between sanctification, theologically, between sanctification and what I'm going to call progressive sanctification. All right. Keep it real now. All right. I'm, I know it. This is... This is heady stuff. This is heady stuff is mm-hmm. right. So when it says you were sanctified, the Greek word there is this Greek word hagios. And if you've listened to me before, I've, I've mentioned this word a number of times, and this word hagios in the Greek simply means holy. You have been made holy. You have been sanctified. And this hagios, this holy, is basically the definition is you've been set apart. God has set you apart. He has saved you, and now he has sanctified you. He has made you holy. He has set you apart for his purposes. How have you become saved and set apart? Not to, not to take this off topic, but in two minutes. So... How do you, what's your question again? How do you? Yeah. How is it that you've been saved and set apart? What if, what has happened? What have you done? So what have I done is believed. So when God says, you know, choose this day, when God says, uh, you know, I stand at the door and knock and you need to open the door. When he asked the woman at the well, if you would have known who you're talking to, you would have asked me for living water. Uh, God says, call on the Lord and he will answer you. Seek the Lord and you will find him. So what do we need to do? We need to turn to God, turn away from the world, turn to God in faith right? John three sixteen, probably the most important verse in all of Scripture. Whoever believes in me shall not perish, 
but have eternal life. Mm-hmm. So you believe in the gospel of salvation, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. And when you believe that and entrust, remember one of the other Greek words I bring up often on the show is that Greek word pastuyo, to believe, to believe it's true and to entrust for salvation. And when you do that, then God saves you. So I've been going, let's say, to a mainline denominational church, and I go every week, and I've been reciting the prayers that they asked me to pray, and I believe them to be true. So am I saved? If you, you know, there's uh, one good pastor friend of mine talks about that he heard the gospel for many years. He recognized the claim, and but at one, sometime in his, in his, in his heart, it moved from his head, I should say, he moved from his head to his heart. Okay. And he finally realized that, oh, this is true, and I need to believe it and entrust for salvation. I, I remember I always go to the thief on the cross when it comes to the simplicity of God's plan for salvation. The man on the cross basically said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He was saved. What did he believe? He believed this guy, Jesus, was who he says he was. And even though they were both about to die, had the power to bring them both into his kingdom. Wow. Saving faith. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that Jesus has the power to bring you into his eternal kingdom? And have you placed your trust in him and him alone to do that? Then you are saved. Mm Mm-hmm. You think of some of the creeds that say he, you know, descended into hell. He didn't say to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in hell. You know, paradise. Yeah, that's the Greek there is actually Hades. So we've talked about that place called Hades, remember? Mm-hmm. So the, the paradise side of Hades, the good side of Hades, that's another conversation. But um, yeah, he was with him in paradise. He was saved. Um, and so what did he simply do? He believed. Look, the the scripture's full of these passages. When in Jesus in Revelation in Revelation three says, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens the door, a picture of faith, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. Right? Um so God has called us to believe. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Believe in the ask uh, the jailers asked Paul, What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. It's as simple as that. I love it. Thank you for that. You bet. So you have been saved. At that moment of salvation, you have, like we talked about, given eternal life, become a child of God, redeemed, justified, uh, given new life, given the Holy Spirit, sealed with the Holy Spirit, all of those things. But you've also been sanctified. You've also been made holy. You have been set apart. So now the question is, like you asked at the very beginning of the show, If God has made me holy, why do I struggle to act holy? If God has his life in me, and I have the indwelling life of Christ in me, and God has called me to be holy and to live out this holiness and given me his holiness, why in the world can't I do it every day? And that's what we're going to try to wrestle with today. Indeed, we will wrestle. We'll take a little break. Jeff Redorn is my guest. We're can eventually focus on one passage in Scripture today, Galatians 2.20. I bet you know that by heart. Many do. If you don't, open your Bible, check it out. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's the start of the verse. We'll be right back. 
walk-up music, and that is it. And I know we could listen to that for another couple minutes, Jeff. And you, I love happy. that song. But I do want to get back to our topic at hand. We're talking about Galatians two twenty today. Eventually, we're going to get there. But right now, uh, the the topic is: if God has made us holy, why is it so hard to live holy? That's what we're going to wrestle with today. Now, so far, we've talked about salvation and sanctification. sanctification. Now let's move on to what? Glorification? Yes. So the third part, yeah. So to finish out this kind of introduction, salvation, sanctification, then the future part of salvation is called glorification. So for example, in 1 Corinthians 3.15, it says, if it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Uh, Romans 8.29 says it this way, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. So we have this future component of salvation, which is called glorification. One day, we are going to put off this earth tent, this physical body, and we are going to be clothed with an immortal body. So Philippians 3 says it this way, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorified body. And we've talked about the glorification. This is, quote, resurrection day when both the dead in Christ and those who are alive and remain will receive their glorified bodies, which will be our our body for all of eternity. And that happens at the rapture. And we've talked about this uh, event a number of times on here. So uh, it says in 1 John 3, we shall be made like him in every way. Well, Jesus is glorified. We too will be glorified. And one day the mortal must be clothed in immortality, 1 Corinthians 15 says, and that's when we receive the glorification of our body. So there's our, the past tense, have been saved, we are being saved, and we shall be saved or will be saved, which brings us to our concept of, but wait a minute here, I've been made holy, but I want to live holy, and how do we do that? Well, this is what I call progressive sanctification, just to distinguish it from what we had just talked about, where the Scripture says true sanctification is being made holy. So this this progressive sanctification part is a struggle, right? Every single Christian struggles with this concept of having been made holy but living it out on a daily basis. Well, one of the things that I like to do is to read about from some of the old dead guys, right, who wrote about this long ago. One of them is Oswald Chambers, and he wrote a devotional called The Utmost for His Highest, and it is a great work. Um, anyway, from his day on October 20th, about 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5, he says this. So first I'm going to read the passage. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that you should teach that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Basically, God wants you to live a holy life. Well, about this verse, Oswald Chambers says this, Sanctification is not a question of whether God is willing to sanctify me. Is it my will? Am I willing to let God do in me everything that has been made possible through the atonement of the cross of Christ? Am I willing to let Jesus become sanctification to me and to let his life be exhibited in my human flesh? 
Beware of saying, oh, I'm longing to be sanctified. No, you are not. Recognize your need, but stop longing and make it a matter of action. Receive Jesus Christ to become sanctification for you by absolute unquestioning faith. And the great miracle of the atonement of Jesus will be re- become real to you. All that Jesus made possible becomes mine through the free and loving gift of God on the basis of what Christ accomplished on the cross. And my attitude as a saved and sanctified soul is that of profound, humble holiness. In other words, our response to this truth is this profound, humble holiness. You know, I read a book a while back called Classic Christianity, and it gives one of the best descriptions of trying to live out this Christian life that I think I've ever read outside of Scripture. And uh, it's in a book called Classic Christianity by Bob George, and he said this, you know, living the Christian life isn't hard. It's impossible. Only Christ can do it. Did you hear that? Let me repeat that. Living the Christian life isn't hard. It's impossible. Only Christ can do it. If you are trying to live this Christian life, you are going to fall short. And so you say, well, then how do I live this Christian life? Stop trying on your own and let Christ live in and through you. And so we get to this concept of the exchanged life. In Galatians 2.20, it says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We need to understand this simple truth that we have been crucified. Now, what in the world does that really mean? Well, we're going to have to try to delve into what does it really mean to be crucified with Christ and say that I no longer live, but it's Christ who now lives in me. Major Ian Thomas championed this concept of the exchanged life, of saying it's no longer I, but Christ living in me. And he said this, Christian living is not a method or a technique. It is entirely different. Revolutionary principle of life. It is a principle of an exchanged life. Not I, but Christ liveth in me. Galatians 2.20. I would like to explore with you what is the true spiritual content of our gospel. Not just heaven one day, but Christ right now. Christ in you on the grounds of redemption. This is the gospel. We were saved not just to go to heaven, but we were saved right now to live God's life, Christ's life in us today, right now. That's what Galatians 2.20 is all about. So I have this chart. You know me. I know you. I've got a lot of charts. And this is the chart from this class seven scriptures you want to know by heart. And this chart lists Galatians 2.20 across the whole page. And in this topic, there are lots of kind of subtopics, and those are what we're going to explore. So picture, if you will, the Christian standing in the middle of this chart. The Christian is us. And God says 
now this is salvation, that you have taken off your old self, Colossians 3.9, and you have put on your new self, Colossians 3.10. So he says your old self is gone, and he's now made your new self. This is kind of a concept we see in Scripture, right? Uh, uh, Many places, right? That the old self is gone, the new self has been made new, newness of life. Anybody who's in Christ is a new creation, right? The old is gone, the new has come. So God says, as part of salvation is concerned, your old self is done, and you are now a new person. But now he says this, Ephesians 4 says, so now put off your old self and put on your new self, Ephesians 4, 24. But wait a minute here. If God has already put off my old self and put on my new self, why do I need to keep putting it off and putting it on? All right? There's the, there's the concept. What God has completed in us, we now need to, oh, what's the proper word? We now need to appropriate that daily, that he has put it off and put it on. So let's look at our old self. So to help understand this, Let's look at this concept of what you used to be. Your old self was described as being corrupted. It had deceitful desire, desires. It was your sinful nature. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. This earthly nature in which you once lived, Colossians 3. Your old self with its practices, Colossians 3, 9. Right? The mind of the sinful man is death, hostile to God. It cannot please him. That is your old self. That old self... Scripture says, has been crucified. It's been done away with. So this concept of being crucified comes up also over and over in Scripture. Romans 6, 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. You died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, Colossians 2. We have been united with him in his death, Romans 6, 5. We have died with Christ Your body is dead because of sin. We always carry around the death of Jesus, becoming like him in his death, Philippians says. Your old self has been crucified. I have been crucified with Christ, right? So there's the old self. Well, that's why Paul says, I die daily. Ooh, so we'll pick that up after the break. Jeff Redorn is my guest. We're focusing on Galatians 2.20, one verse today. We'll be right back. teaching the last time he will be teaching at his current age as he turns another year older tomorrow. 38. Something like that, Something Jeff. Now. Yeah, I'm not buying that for a minute. Sorry. So you're not teaching tonight, are you? This is it? Nope. This is your last teaching lesson right. at this specific age. It is. Glad to have... Uh, and next Sunday will be my next teaching. Nice, nice. Well, we're chatting about uh, Galatians 2, uh, 2.20 today. And this is, I have to say, we talked about this during the break, Rosie and Jeff and I, that this is uh, challenging to put this all together and to process this. 
So, because the topic is, if God made us holy, why is it so hard to live holy? Hmm. So that's what we're trying to work our way through today. We are, and, you know, this concept of what does it really mean to say, I have been crucified with Christ? I mean, Christ was crucified 2,000 years ago on a cross in Jerusalem. What, what does it mean that I have been crucified with Christ, right? So that's what we're trying to wrestle with here today, right now. And if I'm going to consider myself crucified, and, and by the way, God actually talks about this death that we have died to sin, many places in Scripture. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Our old self was crucified with him. We are no longer slaves to sin, Romans 6 says. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires, Galatians 5. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world, Galatians 6. I died to the law, Galatians 2, right? So this is... When, when God says that we've been crucified to the world and to sin uh, and to these old desires, he's saying, I've give, this is a done deal. I've done this. You've been crucified to this. And it's like, so why can't I live it out, right? And that's when we ended at the, at the end of the last break. That's why Paul says, I die daily, dying to what once bound me, this law, put to death the misdeeds of the body, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature. Because even though that sin has been crucified to, to us, we tend to to raise up that old self and live in it every day, don't we? And so there's our struggle. Even though God has crucified us to the world and to sin, we keep bringing it back and keep living it. You know that verse that says, Offer yourself, therefore, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you know what the problem with a living sacrifice is, as opposed to a dead sacrifice? (laughs) A living sacrifice keeps crawling off the altar, right? And uh, because we have our own will, we have our own desires, we have our own wants, we have, you know, it's like, how many times have you said, oh, God, I give you everything I am, all that I have is your, oh, oh, wait a minute, you know? This this thing over here that's caught my attention. I'm going to go check that out. We like self sufficiency too much. We do like self. Um, that's in the end, our biggest problem is self. Yeah, we have self wants, self needs, self desires. That's why where we're kind of going. Jesus in the garden. His self was saying, Lord. If there's any other way, take this cup from me. And and we do that daily. Lord, I know you've called me to live this, but maybe over here, maybe over there. Oh, what about this? What about that? And Jesus, his response was, but not my will, but your will be done. Right? He was crucified to self. It wasn't his will that guided him. It was the Lord's will in his life. Not my will, but your your will be done. So that's when, when we talk about, and when Paul talks about being crucified with Christ, he's talking about the old self. The old self and its sinful desires has been crucified. God has crucified it. It's gone. We now live in this newness of life. So God says that he's made you alive in Christ. You've passed from death to life. He who has the Son has life. By believing, you may have life in his name. I mean, there's life all over the place. 
He's crucified you and given you this resurrected life. And now that you've had this resurrected life, he has put on the new self. He says to put on the new self every single day. So he says things like, for example, those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. We live to the Lord, Romans 14 says. Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it all for his glory, 1 Corinthians 10. And offer your bodies, this is this Romans 12:1 passage, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So the picture is of this Galatians 2.20 exchanged life is I'm going to put off the old self and I'm going to put on the new self. I'm going to put off the old sinful man, which has been crucified, and I'm going to put on the new resurrected man that's been given life, eternal life, by the power of God. And there's your exchange life. So when God says, I have taken off and I have put on your salvation, now we need to put off and to put on, to die to self and live for Christ. And that's exactly what Paul says. He bore, 1 Peter says it this way, he bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. There's that death and life. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I think that's why this concept, Jeff, is challenging because if somebody said, how are you doing? And your response was, well, I'm offering my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. How are you doing? <laughs> you, know, that's, uh, you know, who thinks that way or talks that way? No, we don't. We don't think this way because we tend to be rule-based creatures. Just give me the rules. Just give me the do's. Just give me the don'ts. Yeah, and that's true. what I'll do. So, right? And I, an old pastor that I had says, you know, you know, I don't drink, don't smoke, and don't go with girls to do, right? You know, they'll give me the rules, sure. and I'll live by the rules. Well, this is not a rules kind of based concept, right? This isn't a list of do's and a list of don'ts, but we tend to think of religion, specifically in Christianity even, as kind of rule-based. I better not do that. I better not do that. I better not do that. And I better do this and do this. If You know, I got to read a chapter a day. I better pray five times a day. I better do this a day and all the spiritual disciplines. And I, if I'm not doing that, then I'm not doing Christianity very well. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm doing some of these things I know I'm not supposed to do, then I'm not doing Christianity very well. That's the performance-based Christianity. And if you are stuck in a performance-based Christianity, you're, you're going to fall short. Living the Christian life isn't hard. It's impossible, right? Because what's the standard? The standard is perfection. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? About halfway through, Jesus is saying all these things. Well, you've heard that it say that, you know, don't kill your your brother, but I say don't be angry with your brother. Um, If you don't commit adultery, but I tell you the truth, if you've lusted after a woman, you've committed adultery already. And he keeps raising this bar, raising the bar, raising the bar, and he finally says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And it's like every single person should just, fall down and say, all right, I can't do that. That's right. You know, I know you can't. But when God gives you his righteousness, 
and you have the indwelling life of Christ in you, and you simply abide in him and let him live in and through you. Now, I'm, I'm preaching to myself as much as anything, right? Because even though we can kind of talk about these ideas, I think the stumbling block for Christians continues to be self. We get in the way. And when we, that's why he says, die to self. Now, here's actually a couple of the do nots, but rather. Okay, so here's some do nots, but rather in Scripture. To kind of give us a little jump start on what this might look like. So do not offer your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. Romans 6.13. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Romans 12. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance in your old nature. But just as he who called you to be holy, be holy in all that you do. 1 Peter 1. Do not live your earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God, 1 Peter 4. Do not be arrogant, nor put your hope in wealth, but put your hope in God, 1 Timothy 6. You see this, put off this, put on this, don't conform to the world, but be transformed. Don't offer your body to sin, but offer your body to God, this contrast. And I think how we do this every day is simply, remember the vine and the branches in John 15? I mean, it's one of the most compelling passages if you really understand the truth. It says, he who abides in me will bear much fruit. So how do you bear fruit? Do you go get busy making fruit for God? No. You, as a born-again believer, are responsible for abiding in him. Singularly. That's what I do. Then who bears the fruit in that story, remember? Mm -hmm. He does, the true vine. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? So I think that's, that's the picture. This, this dramatic contrast of put off this old self, put on the new self. Now, one of the things that Paul also uses is this concept of a bondservant in Scripture. And have you ever seen one of these old movies where, you know, maybe it's a service guy or something and he saves a guy's life and the guy then becomes his servant for the rest of his life, right? He says, oh, you saved my life. So I now am going to become your servant. Mm -hmm. And uh, he follows the guy around wherever he goes, always doing whatever he says and so on. Well, that's kind of the picture for Christianity. If Christ has saved us and saved us completely, saved our lives, then just like one of those characters in the movies, we should be saying, Jesus, anything, whatever you say, I'm going to do it. I am your bond servant and I'm going to abide in you. I kind of like that picture. I like that picture, too. You know, I'd figure out how I can save your life so then you would be my servant the rest of my life. That would be a swell deal. Let me take a little break. Jeff Redorn's my guest. We're talking about Galatians 2.20. We'll be right back. 
back with Jeff Dorn. We're talking about Galatians 2.20. We're going to pick up, because uh, we don't have a lot of time left, and there's still a lot to cover, Jeff, just the battleground, the ways of the world versus the ways of God. Uh, listener Joseph said that um, a lot of people have one foot in and one foot out, and they justify their actions with many of the reasons we've mentioned. Hmm. So, Yeah, it is. I mean... If you're out there and you're listening to this, every single Christian struggles with this concept. Paul even said, not that I've already obtained all this, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Um, Paul never lived the perfect Christian life, right? There's only one person who ever walked this earth who lived that perfect life, and that's Christ himself. And by the way, he offers that righteous life to us when we believe. That's a concept called imputed life righteousness. And he gives us his righteousness so we don't have to live a perfect life to be justified before God. We're justified by faith. I mean, wow, what a concept. But that that struggle, that is where we struggle in our heart, in our soul, what the, what the Bible calls our soul. Remember, in, biblically, we're three-part beings. We're body, we're soul, and we're spirit. And remember, our body is wasting away. Our spirit has been made perfect. It's been united with God. Um, The spirit gives birth to spirit. And in our soul, our mind, will, emotion, memories, this is our heart in Scripture. This is what's described as our heart. That is where the struggle is. And remember, we are constantly being programmed by the world. We watch commercials. We watch TV shows. We watch the news. And the world's ways are, generally speaking, 180 degrees opposite of God's ways. But the world impacts us. We are programmed by this world. We take that stuff in. We have memories when pre, before we are saved. We have memories of that life, of the sinful nature that we used to live in. We have external influences that bombard us every day. We have memories. Some of them are painful memories and that they hurt and we somehow want to be in control, that self-control aspect that you were talking about earlier. We have our will, and we want to use it. The old nature has been crucified, but all of these other things keep rearing their ugly heads. So that's the battleground in our mind. What are we going to do today? What are we going to say? How are we going to act? How are we going to react? What do we believe is, is true That's why God says, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is excellent and praiseworthy, this is what I want you to fill your mind in. Do you remember the old analogy that your mind is like a computer? Remember? And so whatever you, however you program that computer, that is how the computer is going to respond. And if we are programming ourselves with the world, well, that's how we're going to respond. And it's kind of cool if you extend this metaphor out a little bit, even when we are saved— and all those old files have been deleted and put into the recycle bin, Satan's got this undelete program that he constantly uses on us. And all he has to do is push this little button, and these old things keep coming back to our memory and to our minds. And even, you know, in a computer, to wipe out a file completely, just deleting it is not enough. Yeah, you got to drop it in the ocean. Yeah, you got to drop it in the ocean. You have to delete it. But you have to write over that part of the hard disk over and over yeah. and over in order to get rid of it. I think the DOD standard is like seven times you need to write over it or something to finally get rid of that file wow. so it can't be undeleted. And it's kind of like, I think, think that's what God says when he says, 
to meditate on my word, to study his word, to, to hide his word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And I think our mind is kind of like our, a computer. And if we are constantly bombarding it with worldly stuff, why do we then be so surprised when we then act worldly? And I guess one last thing is when we fall short, and we're going to fall short. Just remember, one of the aspects of salvation, the past tense salvation, is this concept of forgiveness. That he has forgiven you completely, that he has separated your sins as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. He no longer counts our sins against us. So though we've been crucified with Christ and we should no longer sin, uh, we still do. Even though we've been made holy, we fall short. But remember, your heavenly Father has already forgiven you of all sins, past, present, and future. So, this I know this was a hard concept. It's, uh, it, yeah, to understand that I need to die in order to live... You know, there's a lot of these kind of things in Scripture. You know, you got to be the last will be first, the first will be last, and you got to live to die to live. And and I've been crucified, and I no longer live. And these are tough concepts. Mm -hmm. It's not just going to church, saying some prayers, singing some songs, and and I've done my Christian thing for for the for the week. Um, but if we truly fix our heart on things above, if we truly abide in Him. Set our, setting our minds on Christ, clothing ourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. These are some of the commands that God gives us that says, hey, if you just fix your mind on me, watch how I will live in and through you. And I think that's the crucified life. You've made it sound very simple, too. Hmm. Keep our I've... eyes fixed on him and let him work through us, right? Yeah, I hope. I hope so, because this is not, you know, I don't know that the church does a great job in general of teaching this concept. As John 3.16 is the most important, probably, verse in all of the Bible when it comes to salvation, what must I do to be saved kind of thing, right? Galatians 2.20 is the most important verse, I think, the core verse about now, how do I live as a Christian? A listener named Linda said, um, the enemy regularly attacks my failures as weak or or not sincere faith. Hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what he does. He has these undelete programs like we were just talking yeah, about. Yeah, I get emails and you, you delete them into the trash and they pop back up. You go, I thought I just deleted this thing. Yeah, and Satan's so good at bringing up past events. Oh, you're you're about to speak? Well, let me tell you who you really are. You did this, or you did yeah, that. Or, the accuser. I remember a pastor of mine used to say, right before he'd come up, he would get these videotapes of his mind from decades earlier. And, uh, you know, you're not worthy. These are lies of the devil. You have been made righteous in God's eyes. You're his child. And uh, so don't listen. Know your identity in Christ. He has made you a saint. You have been sanctified. He's made you holy. He's made you righteous. He's made you perfect. You're a child of God, and you now have access to God's throne of grace and can walk into that throne of grace with confidence, knowing that you have been forgiven by the shed blood 
of Jesus Christ. Satan doesn't have a hold on you anymore. You're God's. You're God's possession. You've been bought with a price, and you are his. And he's never going to let you go. He holds you in his hand, and nothing can take you out of his hand. Nothing in all creation can separate you from his love. You are going to fall short. It's going to happen. But you have been forgiven, and you've been made holy. Jeff, there's certainly going to be some listeners today that are going to be thinking, what do you mean, I'm I'm a saint? Come yeah. on, I know the saints, and I'm not one of them, right? You know, it's, it's Co- so... Correct their thinking. It, it, almost every letter of Paul, he starts with, to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Colossae, yeah. to the holy ones, right? That's what he's saying. You do not need a church or a person or some panel or board to declare you a saint. God has declared you a saint, holy, in his eyes, through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. So Paul actually uses that phrase over and over. To those who believe, they are called saints, and you are a saint to God. I just love that. You know that old line, I'm just a sinner saved by grace? Mm -hmm. I, I understand the point, but that's actually not theologically correct. The correct response would be, I'm just a saint saved by grace. You were a sinner. God has made you a saint. That is now who you are. You're a saint to God. Now live like a saint. And that's the message for today. That's another topic that's hard to bring up in casual conversation. (laughs) How are you doing? Well, as a saint, I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, uh, you know, you but get it's punched by one of your friends. You know, there was there was uh, I listened to a pastor one time, and he said, "How many of you out there think you're as holy as I am?" And a few hands went. Yeah. How many of you think you're as holy as Billy Graham? And a few less hands went up. And then he asked this question: How many of you think you're as holy as Jesus Christ Himself? And nobody raised their hands. You know what the biblical answer is? We all should have raised our hands because that is what salvation is all about. When you believe, he makes you holy. He gives you his righteousness, and that's now how he sees you. So we all should have raised our hands, and none of us did. Because it is his righteousness which gets us into heaven. Correct. And nothing unrighteous will inherit the kingdom of God. Mm Mm-hmm. Quick question, Jeff, and we've only got a minute left. When the Bible says to fix our eyes on Jesus, does that mean, practically speaking, setting our minds on him? I often have wondered how to fix my eyes on him when I can't see him. Great question. Yeah, I mean, they kind of answered their own questions there. You fix your eyes on him. So how do we do that? Well, I find that studying his word keeps me fixed on Jesus. Praying to him keeps my mind fixed on things above, not on earthly things, but on heavenly things. So Mm -hmm. yes, we cannot see him, but we can still fix our mind, our attention on things above, not on earthly things. So Jeff's podcast tonight, when it goes up after the show, will include this chart that we have been referencing throughout the hour, and it will be embedded into the podcast. So if you go to myfaithradio.com in the Afternoons with Bill show, and then uh, tonight's episode with Jeff Verdorn, you click on that link, you will see the link to print out his handout that he's got his chart. So, Jeff, happy birthday tomorrow. I'm sure I'll Thank contact you, you tomorrow as well. I'm just publicly saying it now on the air. Okay. 
But uh, happy birthday. And that wraps up our show. My gift in the mail? or is uh, it? I doubt it. Okay. So that, <laughs> I hope you have a great night, everyone. Thanks for listening. God bless you. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.